0: Today's reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Please follow along on your own Bibles, as the text is presented on the screen. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. We know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you, who show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The word of the Lord. Hey. Hey. How you doing? Can you hand me that microphone, please? (laughs) (laughs) One is enough. (laughs)
1: You didn't answer my question. How you doing? Uh, we're here. We're here. We are yep. here. And thank you guys for all being here. Yep. Um, So this is what we've been saying every week in this series. This is week five of our series called God, Sex, and Life. And um, yeah, if you didn't know that, if you just showed up today and you weren't you weren't you didn't, get, you didn't get the memo, well, this is the time where you can you know get up and grace, gracefully walk out, and nobody's gonna. Yeah. Now, if you walk out in the middle, that's a little different. And um, uh, that we are doing a hot topic thing here today, so uh, tough conversation is what it says up there. Mark, what are we what are we talking about, and why are you? You know, what do you care about here?
0: Yeah, so as we continue with our series, God, Sex, and Life, um, this morning we'll be covering conversations around the LGBTQ plus uh, and same-sex attraction, uh, but we'll, we'll specifically just be focusing um, on same-sex marriage this morning. And um, this topic deeply matters, to me it matters to all of us. Um, each one of us in this room, uh, to certain levels, to certain extent, uh, have some sort of investment in this conversation. Um, it matters deeply to us as a pastoral team, um, where we've been going through this series and, and really um, asking this question: How do we God, How do we honor God fully um, with our sexuality? Um, and and something that, that deeply matters to me is um, the language that we use uh, around this conversation and the way. Uh, that we uh, use our words because language shapes reality, right? And so, uh, whether it's different letters that are, are added um, to this conversation, uh, whether it's the way that we go about having conversations with our friends or peers at school, or whatever, um, language matters deeply. And so, um, Particularly, and I think most importantly, um, this, this conversation matters to me because of the students that I get to walk alongside. And so uh, whether you're in this room this morning, or hanging out in the cafe, or um, we'll maybe even be hearing this later. Um, students, I am deeply invested and in, deeply involved in this conversation with you because I know it matters deeply to you. Um, so throw that question back to you. Yeah. Um, why are you invested?
1: Yeah, and, and no pressure. But uh, this may be... Uh, is this being streamed, Mark? It, okay, yeah. So it's a bigger conversation than how are you feeling now. That's great. All right. Right. Let's roll. <laughs> uh, I just look at, at, at back on my life and how how my um, perception of the of the thing we're talking about today has changed. And and what's happened is um, it's. You know, the, the, the conversation has changed out there dramatically. But the conversation in my own heart, as I've dealt with people, and that was back in the late 80s when an employee died of AIDS, and I had a cousin also die of AIDS, and, and then sitting as a pastor with people, uh, parents, and, and um, those who uh, were in some sense struggling with the issue, and just seeing them as people... So it moved, for me, it moved from a doctrine to something very personal. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a, it, I care. Um, and it, it's hard. Um, so anyway, I, I, I won't go further on that. We're going to have a QA and a afterwards, and I can share, um, we can share together more on anything that you hear this morning. But the thing that we want to get at today is what does it mean to locate this conversation under the heading of sexual discipleship or life under Jesus. And we remember that Jesus uh, embraced, lived out, embodied the Bible as he knew it, which is our Old Testament. That was his authority for life. And you know, we have to wrestle with that. Uh, what, what does the Bible say and what does it mean for us? And not come away with, with any cheap answers. We also have to wrestle with how we treat other people as we have this conversation. Because you can be right and be sinning in a big way, whatever view you hold here. And... uh We want to. That's kind of where we're going to be going today. But I want to, in in kind of relation to that, if I say something in a incendiary way or or a painful way, uh, I apologize right now. And I think you'd say the same thing. We don't want to do that, but we have life experiences that we bring to the table that uh, cause us to have certain sensitivities. I do have a resource sheet uh, over here that I will be sharing downstairs afterwards. But if you if you come up here, I'll give you one afterwards. It's the basis for a lot of what we're sharing today, and then i already mentioned the Q and A. There are two positions, basically, uh, although each position has many nuances, and we belong to a denomination that holds the traditional view of marriage between a man and a woman, and that sex is, is confined to, to that. That's what we would call the biblical position. And uh, the other view is we're going to refer to as the open and affirming view. So let me get our the flow of our conversation up there. And we're going to begin with the open and affirming view. And if you haven't heard this before in relationship to uh, same-sex marriage, uh, you, it be, some of this might be new to you. Um, and then we'll go to the traditional view and then we'll ask the question, is there, is there a third view or a, thir- a way forward in this, in this conversation that we can agree on together? So, uh, beginning with the open and affirming view, I'm going to start in a place and um, set it up for for Mark here to take it, and then we're going to do a little bit of that as we on both of these uh, uh, different sides of it. So, the open and affirming view, uh, I, need, I need to tell you. Let me get some texts up here. These are. Um, these are the, the five, if you count them there, there's five main texts in the Bible.
0: Out of, out of all the Bible, there's five. Mark, I'm not a math major, but uh, there's only four up there. Well, but that's just a detail. Well, no, no, if you look carefully.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know. Leviticus. Okay, okay. I'm looking real carefully. You're right. There's yeah, five. Okay. Okay, fine. You're right. You're not a math major. I'm not a math major. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: so, um, but one thing that you'll notice that's not up there is the Genesis 19 story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which uh, we need to probably explain. And that is because both sides on this issue, more—I'm going to say more or less—because there are some exceptions. But scholars on both sides would agree that that passage is not speaking directly to the issue before us today. Uh, that was about about rape and the way you treat people. And if it had been women in that story, it would have been just as wrong as what. Happened there, And so um, most scholars believe it's more about hospitality and how you treat people uh, beyond just this question. So I left that off of there. And uh, if you want to talk more about that, come to the Q&A, but that's why that's not on the list you'll also note or I will also remind you that there are hundreds of places in the Bible that speak positively about an exclusive covenant relationship between a man and a woman and that that's where that's the, the traditional view Or uh, uh, I mean both sides would agree with that as well we put it that way uh, that that's, that's how we have understood sexuality in that context for thousands of years and it's both the Jewish and Christian view so uh in in saying all of that so how do yeah. how does this position unfold if People, they they care about the Bible, but they also have a different view than our denomination has. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think this is an important conversation to have. One, um, to remember that there's kind of two ways to go about this. One, um, just kind of taking this conversation and and putting no barriers or guardrails around it at all when we start to talk about sexuality. Um, Or to say there's this whole group um, of professing Christians that... Um, are trying to uh, handle Scripture responsibly in a way that um, ultimately tries to uphold an open and affirming view. And and I think there's value in uh, exploring that a little bit this morning. And so I'm just going to offer kind of three things that are uh, key to really um, upholding an open and affirming view. Um, So first uh, would be just this, I guess, bigger scope of uh, re-examining Scripture um, to determine that a heterosexual-only ethic... Um, the traditional view of marriage uh, must be revised. And, and so stay with me here as we, we talk about this. Um... This, this idea would kind of be underpinned by, uh, by the reality that, that same-sex relationships in the ancient world, in antiquity, uh, were connected to kind of these hierarchical constructs, right, that even um, related to abuse or to slavery. And so when we look at those, those passages, um, there's scholars and authors and pastors that are, are kind of pointing to that. And so um, then you kind of get to the more specifics of, okay, what, what about uh, these four, five passages um, that's debatable, um, that, uh, that really, really focus in on this conversation. Um, and there's really two words, uh, spe- specifically in the first Corinthians passage and then, uh, the first Timothy passage, um, that have kind of been these troubling words, um, for an opening, open and affirming, uh, view that, that, that speaks specifically, uh, to homosexuality. And so, um, while, uh, while this, this claim is really uh, underpinned by re-examining these words, that um, those words don't actually mean uh, what maybe we always thought they mean. And so um, as you continue to, to kind of look at this conversation, if you're upholding an open and affirming view, um, that you would kind of zoom out from Scripture, zoom out from the specifics, and, and try to um, create a theological claim Um, that you look at Scripture and you look at the Bible and you look at God, He is consistently offering grace and offering love. And so um, while this, uh, this view I think sometimes becomes very p- problematic if you're, if you're grounding it um, in scripture, it's more of a theological debate that, that God is more about love and about grace than condemnation and judgment which I think all of us in this room would affirm that that is the case. And so um, that is a, that's something that I think uh, when you move away from those specific passages um, certain groups would would identify kind of this, this overall thrust of Scripture being um, built more theologically rather than biblically. And so um, I think at the same time, when we see uh, an opportunity to engage in Scripture, um, Scripture doesn't ever stand alone. It's not isolated. It doesn't, uh, it, it's not just this kind of static... Idea, right? It involves people. It involves us engaging with it. It involves our uh, church's tradition. It involves reason. And so, um, when we look at uh, scripture and this this open and affirming view, um, voices and experiences have a huge weight, have a huge play, obviously, in in upholding this view. And so, um, there's there's a few voices um, that uh, will will show up here on the screen of realities. That uh, that are are true to people um, that are wanting to listen, and and I think again on uh, wherever we kind of find ourselves in this conversation, um, these voices, these opinions, these perspectives are so so important to consider, to remember, um, and to uphold. And so again, just kind of these these three ideas of an open and affirming view, um, re- really attempting to re-examine and reinterpret scripture um, in ways that upholds that covenant. This marital covenant um, is not only upheld uh, between a man and a woman in a lifetime, but but can be upheld um, faithfully in a same-sex relationship. And to me, I think that's an important distinction that. Um, that, that uh, most scholars who are trying to be responsible with this open and affirming view are not saying that um, sex outside of marriage is permissible in, in a homosexual context or even uh, that promiscuity is, gets condoned that uh, it's still founded upon a covenantal commitment. And so I think that's a, an important distinction for us to remember um, because uh, that's still really trying to uphold uh, the gift that marriage is for us as a community. And so um, all that to say, these views are not shared by everyone who embraces an open and affirming position, um, but they are upheld by, I guess, leading scholars um, who are trying to, to really uh, be faithful with Scripture. And so um, we offer that because, uh, to me, I think it's an important uh, reality to recognize that there's, there's churches, there's friends that we have, maybe even in this community, that, uh, that attend and to worship in, in spaces that um, hold this view. And so... Um, Cool. Sound good. Um, nope, so no, nobody's gotten up yet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so really, I think if we're, we're honest, um, we all probably come into this place having a pretty good understanding of um, where we are in this conversation, um, and uh, and where kind of we, we land. Um, but but I think oftentimes we see this conversation as, as pretty polarizing. We can we can agree to that. As as almost um, having this window. In, in between us as we see these two sides. And, and oftentimes we only engage in conversations through these small glimpses of conversations through a window. Um, most of the time they're not very loving. Most of the time they're not very um, Christ-like. And so um, to, uh, to move away from this us versus them language this morning... Um, it seems important to to really identify this open and affirming view as something that, that is uh, reality uh, not only in our world but in our uh, christian culture and so um, we 're going to shift a little bit to um, the uh, the more traditional view, as Pastor Mark had talked about earlier, and uh, to do that uh, i 'm going to just going to read a little excerpt from one of the resources that are on uh, Uh, that are on our resource recommendation list. And um, it's a book called um, People to be Loved by Preston Sprinkle. And uh, it kind of just sets the table for us as we uh, begin to move into more of a traditional view. And so it says, what does the Bible really say? It says that it's a sin. It's damnable, evil, and can exclude a person from God's kingdom. It's so bad that uh, that God destroyed an entire city that was engaged in it. And Jesus says that it was those who practice it are liable to face judgment rather than salvation when he returns. And those who think they can continue to practice it and still think they are genuine followers of Christ are deceiving both themselves and others. I'm not talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about the misuse of wealth. The sin that's condemned in more than 2,000 passages in God's inspired word When overfed and overpaid straight Christians condemn gay people while they neglect the poor, stockpile wealth, and indulge in luxurious living, they stand on the wrong side of Jesus' debate with the Pharisees.
1: You know what it feels like to be skewered? (laughs) That's what you're supposed to feel like right now. Ooh. So, the traditional view, and I'm going I'm to lay a foundation here, and then Mark's going to do a little bit more on that. But um, this would be a very traditional view, uh, foundation for any, any sin that we might be talking about, including greed. But um, what Paul does here, did you feel set up by that? Did you feel set up? That's exactly what he does in Romans chapters. One and two. Now we only read earlier from Romans chapter two, and I'm going to read a little bit of it again here. But in Romans chapter one, that was on the list of you know the the five. There are five for those who know your math. There are five that were. um, It it said that it was uh, something shameful lust. I think is the the in relationship to homosexual behavior, and um, so. uh, It's in that list. But if you go down the list a little further, before he gets to chapter 2, he mentions things like greed, Paul does, and gossip and slander and envy and deceit. And the question then is, who in this room maybe has not been involved in one of those words in your life? So... um, but then he, he gets to, of course, you say, well, maybe just me a little bit less than most people, whatever. You try to justify your, yourself. And then he gets to Romans chapter 2, which I'll just read the first verse. Um, and again, you've been set up, in a sense. But you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. And he goes on from there. And I think Mark's going to use this imagery here in a minute. But it's like you're looking through a window in Romans chapter 1 at sinners. And then suddenly that window turns into a mirror. That's really what just... And that's what happened to you as we heard... We thought we were hearing about homosexual sin, but we were really hearing about greed and our attitudes towards wealth. Um, This is a big deal. And... um, um, I want to I ask uh, a question, and, and it's, it, it's a little bit of a trick question, but how many of you, and, and I know that you know, raising your hands uh, is, is always tough for, for a lot of people, especially the introverts in the crowd, right? But how many of you consider yourself sexual sinners? Raise your hand, Mark. Come on,
0: raise it high. I'm raising it here. Yeah. two, two hands.
1: Yeah, see, yeah, and, and I would too. Now, now, here's here's what uh, was pointed out to me this week in a conversation, is that most men know intuitively. <laughs> they, I mean, if there's other men in the room, they know they're going to be like, okay, we know we're sexual sinners, uh, and it's immediate. But most women don't usually uh, go there quite as quickly, and. Uh, so uh, Julie Slatterly, I don't have her book up here, but she's written a wonderful book, Dr. Julie Slatterly, uh, Rethinking Sex is the title, I believe. But she makes the argument in there that she, as a, as a wife, in the first uh, phase of her marriage, sinned sexually by considering sex a dirty thing. And then she talks about other times where she used sex for manipulation. And then she draws the conclusion that compared to Jesus, which is really our comparison, and of and, course, you know, he was he was a man. But compared to Jesus, when we talk about words and deeds and feelings and all the rest, um, we are all sinners. Let me read from David Platt. I and every reader of my book—he's writing a book on sex, by the way—are guilty at multiple levels of sexual thought, desire, speech, and deed outside of marriage between a husband and a wife. None of us are innocent, and none of us are immune to it. Um, there's, and, she, and that quote is out of her book, and she's agreeing that all people, men and women, now what Paul does in, with Romans is he takes us to this pinnacle, and if you can remember, if you might think of Billy Graham's voice here, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, right. Okay, but it's it is that which he is leading up to, that we're all sinners. And uh, we need to uh, remember that. that, And that knowledge keeps us from judging other people. Now, that doesn't mean we can't talk about truth. So that's my setup for you.
0: Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's That's, it, man. Sorry. uh, It's the best I can do. (laughs) So if we're honest... um what is the sin in Romans 2 that, that we looked at, this, this passage? Um, this is not a trick question. This is, this is a pretty uh, straightforward question. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself mm-hmm. because you who pass judgment do the same things. What is the sin? It's, it's simply judgment in the ways that that Paul calls us, all of us, out uh, in this passage. And um, really, um, if we even desire to embrace uh, this traditional view, um, to prove a point, to condemn, to shame, uh, we've missed the point completely. We've missed the perspective of God uh, desiring for us um, to not embrace this posture uh, of shame, of judgment, but um, to live into this hope of love. And so, uh, might I remind us this morning uh, that the gospel that we encounter as a living gospel uh, is one of emptying of self-sacrificial love as modeled uh, in Christ. And and from this self-sacrificial gospel, it pulls the self-righteousness, the judgment, out Mm -hmm. from us, to transform us, to encounter the humility of Christ. And so, uh, first and foremost, I think, as the traditional view is embraced, uh, an apology is in line to anyone who has been hurt by our irresponsibility with the gospel. When in the name of God we have been, out of shame or condemnation, too busy to even see the plank of judgment, in our own eye, as history too often repeats itself, and we are too often as a church on the side of hate rather than love. And so, um, I don't know, has anyone uh, else had an interesting time on uh, the roads this week? Um, so, I, Lauren and I moved here eight months ago, and we were like, oh man, these drivers will be awesome. They drive in the rain all the time, like life will be good. <laughs> That's not true. It's not true about Washington drivers, right? And um, and so when you think about this conversation... Of, uh, of our sexuality, really of anything um, that, uh, that God gives us as a gift. Um, one scholar uses this, this simple analogy of a car. And I think uh, every analogy, every metaphor, ultimately falls apart. Um, but when we so look cars, at... cars, by the way. And cars. Yeah, they do. Especially this week. Um, when we look at this, this gift of, of money, of wealth, of, of sexuality, whatever it is, God, every time offers it as a gift to us uh, with his intent of living into that and uh, in the way that he designed it. right? And then, just as a car, as the manual says, this is when you're supposed to change your oil, this is when you're supposed to replace your tires, whatever, uh, when, when that's not cultivated, when that's not cared for, um, it doesn't run properly. And, and as we translate that to our sexuality in general, God is offering a gift to us in our sexuality, regardless of who we are. And, he, and he's designed it in a way to where when we embrace that, it operates fully. And I know for, for a lot of us in this room, um, we can relate to brokenness in our lives, especially in our sexuality. And so um, when, we, when we see that God's intent and his design for us is good... It's an invitation to live into that. And so uh, the traditional view really embraces the covenant of marriage um, between man and woman for for a lifetime. Um, But it would be naive and quite irresponsible to stop the conversation there. I think that that would would really completely defeat the purpose of what um, Paul is calling us to do in Romans 2, but also the words of Jesus, um, recognizing that the different elements of who we are as humans still play a role, whether that's nature and nurture and science and psychology. Adolescent development play an integrated part in our identity, and we can't write those things off. We can't neglect them. We have to hold those things in tension. And so I want to simply say this this morning, that our sexual identity is not the core of who we are. Our core identity is Christ. And yet, the two are inseparable. In other words, our core identity in Christ encompasses our sexual identity. Our core identity in Christ encompasses our sexual identity. And just an observation uh, from really just my perspective as i uh, been moving into a, to a role of um, pastoral ministry and just wanting to lead students well and um, really just walk alongside students. I, I've made this observation that the LGBTQ plus community um, is identity forming because it's a, a movement that is safe place to question, right? Mm-hmm. Th- that there's cultivated safety in that conversation, how might we as a church be a community where that safety is cultivated? If that ultimately is a call for us to suspend judgment and to embrace this love, this posture of love, the conversation cannot end there. It's rather a beginning. And so, um, so where, where might we continue this? Um, I think it really uh, an important piece is, uh, is a, converse, a conversation around singleness and the important distinction regarding same-sex attraction. We're not talking about um, specifically behavior, um, but, but orientation. Right. In, in other words, um, actively living into those or living out those desires, rather than gender identity or same-sex attraction. Um, there's a quote from a, a theologian. Uh, his name is Wesley Hill. Uh, that's up on the screen. I'd like to read this because I think it, it really gives us a perspective of the importance of embracing singleness um, in our culture, in our churches. Celibacy is hard. is a hard choice. And if churches are not willing to hold it up, as an honorable pursuit and support it with practices of friendship and hospitality, I'm not sure it will seem viable to many sexual minorities. And so while a traditional view embraces a call to healthy marriages between husband and wife, we must cultivate a space in the church not to just support singleness, but uphold singleness as a reality of mutual belonging in the body of Christ.
1: One more thing before we move on. and in, in Romans, Paul's argument goes to that pinnacle of, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he builds the argument, and it really does get deep and rich. But in chapter 6, he deals with a question that's, that, I, that I hear coming up in this discussion, and that is, well, if... If uh, the more I sin, the more God gives grace, then why don't I just sin all the more so that, you know, in other words, I'm really good at sinning. You're really good at forgiving. What a deal I have. Right. And he says no to that. That's not that is not what God is all about. And we have to be really, really careful there, not just in relationship to sex, but in relationship to some of those other things that he mentioned earlier, like envy and greed and lying and all those things. We can't justify sin before God. So uh, it's, it, it is a way, it's not just like, uh, we might as well, that's the argument, we might as well just do our best at sinning so God's grace will increase. Um, so I want to get that in there. And then we want to go to our third um, point, and that is, is there a third way? And uh, the third way, I will say yes and no on this one. Uh, There really are two sides. You can't stand in the middle and straddle. It's really really pretty tough. Uh, uh, Authors have tried, and it doesn't seem to come across that way. So... The third way, the yes to the third way has to do with what we've been talking about, and that is is not judging people. Quoting Jesus, judge not lest you be judged, or Paul, condemn not lest you be condemned. And that's what this message is really fundamentally um, directing us towards. So I, I like to think in terms of four views. Now, this helps me get through a lot of the controversies in life, that there are two extremes, and in this case it would be uh, so you have the you have the middle thing that divides the two sides, and then you have on both sides you have an extreme. And uh, on, In this uh, topic, it would be on the on this. I guess this is my left side, so I'll go with that. The left side would say uh, that. Any, any sex goes. I mean, it's just, hey, it's whatever. It's whatever you feel. Trust your feelings and let it go, let it rip. See, and don't worry about the ethics of it. Uh, the other side would be identified more with judgment and, and um, maybe hatred and homophobia and fear, all that stuff. And then you have these two extremes. But what happens, and this is what you'll notice on, on uh, social media, is that you have people who are really m- way more nuanced On both sides, and we're trying to represent a more nuanced position. I hope we are. Uh, But we want to have conversations with people who are nuanced on the other side, and I do that in my life, and and, um, those I read and those I talk to. Uh, But I don't, what happens in, in the social media world, at least, and in some places, is people who are moderate on this side will assume that everybody is extreme over here. And people who are moderate on this side will assume that everyone is extreme over there. And I don't know if that helps you, but that helps me navigate a lot of these more controversial issues. And the word, I'm going to just leave you with this, and then Mark's going to take this the rest of the way, is that to add love does not mean that you subtract truth. Okay? I mean, we, that's, that's what we're really saying here. <laughs> to add love does not mean subtracting truth.
0: So how do you land this third way? Plane, right? Ultimately, if we're we're trying to, to determine what does Jesus call us to, um, in in this reality of of living into um, this transformative love as as a gospel that we embrace, um, it, it really I think it relates to this imagery that we're talking about of um, of a window in a mirror. And so this is my makeshift window. It's actually a picture frame with no picture in it. Um, but, but oftentimes we, we live in, uh, in these conversations on one side or the other of this window, right? Whether we're just kind of peeking in the other side, hello, looking at the, the other perspective or the other uh, view and in ways that um, are really not edifying to, to what we are um, trying to become as a church. And it's quite dividing. Right, it's quite dividing if we view and uphold um, this conversation through a window. Um, again, this call that Paul gives us um, is so much more like this mirror. Um, and it's, it's a humble approach to looking intently at who we are first as uh, humans fallen in, in the ways that we're not called to embrace judgment, but are called uh, to embrace this gospel of love. Um, and th- this mirror is, is, is a difficult thing, I think, ultimately to uphold um, because it really forces us to, to be honest with a lot of things that um, come with our own brokenness. And so, um, just as God uh, initiates this kindness to us, as this passage in Romans 2 um, has exhorted, uh, regardless of our situation, what might it look like for us to extend the same kindness Uh, To one another, and and really, I think uh, when we start to get into this third way conversation, um, we're confronted with some questions that that are pretty difficult. Um, How how might we parent a generation that has much different views and perspectives and experiences of of human sexuality and identity um, than previous generations? Um, How might we love actually love a sibling or a cousin or a friend um, who identifies? Uh, in in a different way than maybe we uphold? Um, And ultimately, how might we continue to be good friends? Uh, to someone who is committed, uh, in a committed same-sex relationship. And so uh, these, these third ways, I think, really tie back into um, this overarching idea that we're, we're pursuing that, that Pastor J.D. had really, really explored earlier, is that these decisions are um, so much more than just right and wrong. How can we pursue wise and unwise, um, starting with uh, this mirror, this image that Paul gives us to really examine our lives intentionally. And so, um, in just a few moments, um, we'll have an opportunity to, to respond and being honest with the different stories, uh, different perspectives, different experiences in this room. Um, I know this, this conversation is, is obviously a never a light one, um, but it also brings up different uh, emotions and experiences for, for all of us in this room. And so um, we'll have an opportunity to, uh, to really for you to come forward in an in invitation uh, for prayer, if you'd like, um, that, that's really tied into to any of these experiences and um, anything that we 've been talking about uh, this last couple of weeks and um, we'll also have some additional resources really throughout the next couple of weeks where spaces to process these things more fully if that's something that 's something that you feel like you need that space um, additionally. Um, I think it gives us really a space to be honest this morning as we sit in worship, uh, knowing that, that we worship a good God, um, where the stakes are very high in this conversation, um, because it's not a doctrinal issue. Um, it's not something that we can just pick aside and then say, um, that's, that's it. We've decided and, and life is good that it's messy because it involves, um, people's lives and identity and, and people's value. And so, um, May that be what we remember this morning as we continue to pursue um, what it means to, to follow Jesus with sexual discipleship. And so um, I'd invite you uh, to, uh, to take this time as we move into uh, a time of, of response and reflection um, to meet God where you're at with this conversation. Um, and so I'd love to, to offer prayer for us as we continue to worship. God, we bring our whole selves to you. All of who we are, mm-hmm. may you be pleased with a posture of humility and surrender and a longing for your kingdom to come. God, may you be the center of our lives and may our lives be drawn into the intention that you have for us, for our identity. Our sexuality. We give it all to you. And God, we em- embrace this conversation as a church, knowing that we've fallen and we've done uh, this conversation so poorly in the past, in so many different circumstances. God, may you show us a way to embrace your love in a way that honors you fully. God, so we commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.